0: Welcome to another episode of the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. Glad to have you here, and today's episode is going to be, it's kind of a fun one. As we're getting ready for bow season to open, we thought it would be fun to each one of us, Jacob, Jeff, and I, pick one thing, if you had to pick one thing that's most important to a bow hunter, to be successful as a bow hunter, what would it be? We eliminated your bow, because you obviously need a bow, and broadheads, right? Because I think it's generally understood that you need a quality broadhead and you need a bow. So we decided for this exercise, we would eliminate those two things and go from there. So this is what's the most important thing to a bow hunter, and it was a fun little debate. So we'd love to hear from you guys what, what all you think. Do you agree with one of us? Do you agree with all of us? Would you pick something different altogether? So let us know. Shoot us a message. Facebook, Instagram. or Ohio Huntsman on Facebook. Ohio Huntsman underscore podcast on Instagram. And let us know. Before we get into that, though, I want to talk about our sponsor, Monster Whitetail Grub. They have been a sponsor of ours for a long time and we're really thankful for that they support the show and i'd encourage you guys to check them out and support them they're an ohio-based company and like i said we're getting real close to deer season and they make a great deer feed product they've got their signature monster whitetail grub feed which is a high protein feed mineral mixed in you can get flavor additives lots of cool stuff you can get flavored corn which sort of ups the game on on just standard corn and then you can also get straight mineral so whatever you need they've got it so check out ohiohuntsman.com sponsors that's where you'll find all of the information on our sponsors and you can get in touch with them order some of their product and give it a try now let's get into this debate Welcome to the Ohio Huntsman Podcast, where three brothers, Jason, Jacob, and Jeff, discuss all things hunting in Ohio. Our goal is to be your source for accurate and reliable hunting news and conservation issues in the great state of Ohio, as well as some fun and interesting conversations along the way. This is the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. Are you
1: listening?
0: All right, so we've got everybody on the call. It's, uh... Interestingly enough, fun fact for today, we're recording on June 29th. It is Jacob's birthday, so happy birthday! And if you thank you, yes, if you listened a couple episodes ago, I talked about how I hadn't even gotten Jeff his birthday present yet. I have redeemed myself and finally got him his his birthday is in March. I finally got him his birthday present and got Jacob his birthday present early. So. It was kind of easy. I sort of got you guys the same thing, but yeah. slight variation.
1: Well, now Dad wants one.
0: Oh, he saw it?
1: He saw it and said, oh, you know, I wonder where Jason got that from. And I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure he made it. So Yeah. yeah.
0: So for listeners, I made um, basically a small game carrier. You know, it's got an adjustable loops you know, that you can cinch down. So you could use it for squirrels. You could use it for rabbits. You could use it. It doesn't have enough loops to carry a limit of doves, but you could, I was thinking because it started to get kind of bulky. If I was going to put that many loops, like it's just your standard, whatever, two, two and a half inch carabiner, just your cheapo aluminum, you know, not weight bearing carabiner. And if I was going to put that many loops on, it started to get kind of and so my thought was well you've got enough here if you doubled up the loops to carry a limit of doves you've got to shoot a limit of doves first (laughs) right but so that's that's what uh and I, i made those and so i didn't realize but so dad wants one now too huh
1: yeah i mean he was pretty impressed uh that you made it you know because he was like looking at it oh it's pretty cool you know it's something handy to have you know because he said you know when i go squirrel hunting you know not that i've went squirrel hunting in a few years basically is what he said but uh yeah i just carry them by their tails or stuff them in a coat pocket and if you get lucky and you're getting quite a few that gets pretty cumbersome
0: yeah yeah i've I don't. I've, the one I have for myself isn't as nice as the one I made for you. <laughs> I guess mine's a prototype. Uh, it's got. I think it's only got four loops on it, and it doesn't have like the, the. Uh, the cobra weave around it to kind of dress it up, and so. But yeah, so that's that. So, again, happy birthday, Jake, and you're spending it. Uh, Recording a podcast. So, anything else new we want to talk about before we get into the, the actual topic we want to talk about today?
1: Well, I think last episode, maybe it was the episode before that, I talked about how I hadn't checked my trail camera in yeah. a long time. Mm-hmm. Well, I checked that, and I had uh, some interesting photos that I kind of blew my mind. I think a fawn was hanging out with a buck for like three or four days like i would get photos of this buck and a fawn together and never any does and then like after three or four days this buck came in a fawn came in and then a doe came in and then i never saw uh the buck with the fawn again. Hmm. But it was like on the regular, every day, this buck would uh come in and there'd be a fawn with it. So I think that you know, this fawn got lost and was tagging along with this buck for a couple of days, which I thought was pretty surprising.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I
1: mean, especially because it's a little fawn. I mean, it's you know definitely still could be nursing you know yeah it was a little fawn hmm. but yeah i thought that was pretty bizarre um yeah i planted a uh a small sunflower plot to try to dove hunt on get this a of doves yeah get a limit of doves <laughs> you know i, I planted maybe I don't know, somewhere probably between 30 and 50 sunflowers. You know, I, I just started them all in planters and then basically just went out and planted them in an overgrown, uh, field. Well, it's, it used to be part of my yard and then I stopped mowing. Well, actually, even before I moved in, it stopped getting mowed. So it's just kind of overgrown grass and shrubs, but I planted them all there and uh last week i went out to check on them you know i had been looking at them you know once a week and they were doing well last week i went to check on them and almost every single one of them had the top bitten off of it bummer so that that whole plan you know i was just a big waste of time i might get two sunflowers to grow You know, like oh, that's maybe maybe two of them didn't get bitten off
0: I've got a similar story it's not it wasn't something I planted for to hunt over but I thought it would be a cool project for for Ella and I I was gonna or I I did plant uh birdhouse gourds so they're you know they're the kind of like the bottle shaped not bottled, they got the big bell on the bottom and then usually a, 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 a smaller ball on top, you know, and people turn them into birdhouses, you know, when well, you let them dry out and then you can bore a hole in them and, and clean all the insides out, you know, because it's all dry papery inside, but the shell gets hard. And I thought, Oh, this will, you know, we can grow these things and then, you know, we'll let them dry out. And the next year we'll build birdhouses it'll be a fun you know little project for ella and i so i you know with all this stuff i I ordered some seeds online and they showed up and on the package that i didn't research it a ton but on the package is talking about like they need like 120 to 150 days to reach maturity and i was like wow i don't know if i have enough time anymore and they're not coming up. They're not coming up. I started looking like the, the germination period. It's like, uh, I forget it. It's like two weeks or something for these things to even sprout. So, you know, I lost two weeks there, you know, if these things even grow. And so I think it's going to end up being an Epic fail. We might get some vines, but I don't think we're going to get any mature gourds that we can, I mean, we'll see. I'll keep y'all posted, but I don't have any baby uh, gourd plants yet, so I think it's I made I may have gotten too late of a start on that <laughs> on that project.
1: Yeah, that that because I'm doing the math here, and yeah, that's it's gonna be tough.
0: Yeah, I think I'd have had to get them in. I mean,
1: at least basically. a month ago.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, not too long after the the blast frost. I mean, that's kind of a a long window, but we'll see. Maybe we'll get some small gourds and we can make small birdhouses. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see. So, so
1: I discovered the other day, yesterday, when I was out at my property, and I guess I didn't know this first real full season with the property. It is full, and I mean full of black raspberries. Oh um, really? Yeah. Like all the paths and mode areas, like lining those. They're all lined with briars. And all summer and spring, I was just cursing it. Like, ah, oh, I get all these briars out of here. Get these briars out of here. Well, come to find out, a lot of them are black raspberries.
0: <laughs> um, I think that's a nice find, though.
1: No? Yeah. So, but I don't know. The only thing is, I don't. If I guess, if any listeners have any tips or tricks, I don't know if there's a tip or trick. But some of them, I don't know if it's the birds or if the plants just didn't get. I don't know. There seems like a lot of them. They're not. You can tell that they tried to bury, but they almost look like they're burnt out. I don't know if the birds nipped them off already, or I don't know. Because hmm. it's weird. <clears throat> and like they're, some of them look like they're, they almost look like they would look after you pick the berry off of them. But oh, like okay. the whole plant is just like clean, dried out looking like, So I don't know if the birds are picking it off or if that plant just never developed berries, but I don't know. There's still a bunch that are, you know, we spent, we didn't have any container to load them into yesterday. So we were just going and picking as much as we could eat, but there's a bunch of them.
0: I think, uh, I'm going to have a, like a bumper crop of blackberries this year. Last year, like the first year we were, you know, we moved in in July or whatever, the first year we were in here, and we we had quite a few blackberries. Last year, we had some, but it, you know, it was enough to kind of go back there after work and, with Ella, and we would pick a couple handfuls of blackberries and, and eat them as we went. But this year, man, when I'm, you know, because you guys know we've got some mode paths back there and when i'm walking there it's like everywhere blackberries but and they're just loaded with i mean they're not ripe yet but they're just loaded with ripening or or you know the starts of blackberries
1: yeah same thing over here i it's going to be a good year for berries Yeah, and you know i don't i don't know if that's a a thing because yeah last year not not many You know, dad came over to pick some and, you know, we struggled, you know, dad came over to pick some to give to grandma to make a cobbler out of, you know, so we're trying to, you know, basically get like about a gallon jug of them, at least half gallon. And we struggled.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's the way ours was last year. But this year it seems like, like you said, it's going to be a good year for berries. The other thing I just, I just remembered, I got another little experiment going on. So I, I'm bad with f- like finishing my Euro mounts. Like I'll boil them and get the, the majority, you know, the, the eyeballs, all that, you know, that big fleshy stuff comes off. And, but some of that stuff is just a real pain to get all of it off. And so I end up like, well, I, I'm out of time for today. And they sit in my, you know, they're not clean enough to bring into the house. So they sit in my garage and they, you know, turns into jerky, basically the little pieces that are left, you know, But like for me, I always struggle with that stuff on the back of the skull. There's all that stuff back there that I don't know. I don't know why, but I just struggle to get like that stuff is held on there real tight. And I, I just. I can't get it off. I don't know. I always struggle to get that off. So I end up like I've got one hung in my garage because I never got it clean enough to where I felt comfortable bringing it in the house. And then I I had my buck from last year sitting, um, you know, just kind of in the corner in my garage, basically same thing. I had done like the initial boil, but never really got it clean. And I was looking online and I saw some people just from the start We'll use maceration. <clears throat> so basically just soaking the skull in water in warm, warm water, if, if you will. It doesn't really work so well in, in the winter when stuff's cold because you need like that bacterial growth breakdown of the tissue. It stinks. I mean, I'm only a couple days into it. And in the skull, I'm talking, you know, had not a lot of meat left on it, but. Like I said, more than you'd probably want to bring in your house. So I'm going to as a, you know, because I've heard people bury them, but then it's like, how do you keep things off the antlers? You cover it, but yeah, you know, and then I've seen the skull ends up stained kind of dark because it's been in the dirt for six months or whatever. And, you know, I just didn't, I wasn't in love with that idea. But I was looking for or I'm looking for a way of sort of like the, the, the old set it and forget it kind of <clears throat> way to finish <laughs> the, the euro mounts. And I don't know, maybe I'll try one uh, um, just complete maceration at, at some point. But right now I'm trying to see if I can finish, get the last of that tissue off of there, get some of that you know, that brain residue and stuff out of there using maceration. So I've got a, uh, the skull in a five gallon bucket in the attic of my barn. Cause it gets hot up there. Cause there again, like that's the, the one thing, like I don't want to just set a bucket outside and have coons or coyotes or something drag, you know, drag this thing out of there or the mice or the squirrels get to the antlers or anything like that. So I wanted it, protected somehow obviously not in my garage I don't want a a rotting bucket of of uh stinky flesh in my garage which is attached to my house so we'll see I'll keep y'all posted on how that goes but I think that uh unless you guys have anything else I think that is all of our updates
1: yeah I don't have anything else okay Yeah, it's everything I had.
0: Okay. So what we were going to talk about today, sort of a fun one as we're, you know, as we're starting to think about deer season again, deer season, you know, fall hunting season isn't, isn't far away at this point. We're, uh, by the time you guys listen to this, we'll be less than three months away. So, you know, coming up on two months away, so it's really starting to be on the brain and. So we thought as a, as a fun topic, we would do a what's the most important thing to a bow hunter, obviously aside from your bow, and we also decided to throw in your broadhead, you know, arrows and broadheads. Like, you have to have those things, and I think it's pretty well understood that you need a quality broadhead that's going to, you know, not blow apart. On impact, uh, you know, so we sort of rank those in as a given, if you will. So what's the most important thing to a bow hunter? And you obviously can't repeat what somebody else has said. And so, you know, by the end of this, we should have three, like a top three list of most important things for a bow hunter. And since it's Jake's birthday, <clears throat> we decided to go to go easy on him and give him the first slot so he doesn't have to come up with anything on the fly. So, Jake, if you want to kick it off, what what is your most important thing for a bow hunter?
1: All right. Um, the most important thing that I came up with... Uh, excuse me, is, um, I guess I'll go camouflage and not necessarily traditional hunting camouflage. It necessarily has to be, but something to disguise your silhouette and presence. Um, so, you know, you don't necessarily need the latest and greatest expensive camouflage. I'm not particular picking one brand over another but something to break up your presence because with bow hunting, you have to get pretty close or the deer has to get pretty close Mm -hmm. and um, they see movement very well. So for me, I would say some sort of a camouflage pattern, some sort of a pattern that's going to break up you being a body (laughs) up in a tree or if you're hunting from the ground, um, so I would say camo of some sort. That's kind of my most important, I guess.
0: Okay. want to pause here briefly and talk about our sponsor, Mastin's Deer sense So Mastin's is a deer scent company, and as we're getting ready for deer season to open, it's time to start thinking about your arsenal of tools, if you will, your, your tools in your tool bag. So scent is another one of those tools that we as hunters use to be successful in the woods mastins makes a great product they collect everything on stainless steel so you know you're getting good clean scent with no off sense you know some companies collect on concrete and everybody knows concrete is porous and can absorb things mastins collects on stainless steel they are a certified cwd free facility which is important in today's day and age and the prices are really good so if you haven't been to their website to ch- to at least check out their prices, go to MastensDeerSense.com. Or if you prefer, like I said in the, in the beginning, go to OhioHuntsman.com slash sponsors, and there's a link there to jump you over to their website. Order right on their website, and they'll ship it to your house. So with that, let's get back into the episode. Jeff, we'll let you go next. What, uh, what do you rank as most important? And... We'll see if you can top Jake's idea, or if Jake has uh, a rebuttal.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you you have to fool the deer senses. So, uh, but I think probably the more important sense to fool is uh, the sense of smell, and I think it's really hard to actually fool the sense of smell. So you have to play the wind to your advantage. So I would say the most important tool is something to see how the wind is blowing, you know, and not just like, oh, it's blowing, you know, north, but something that's gonna kinda show you, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, piece of cotton or uh, milkweed uh, fluff, you know, to really show how the wind is blowing and where your scent is, you know, where the wind's going from you and downwind, you know, where your scent is blowing. So whatever, you know, you want to use, but I think something to determine the way the wind's going is most important because you're you're never you can wear all the clothes, shower cover, send, whatever you want. And I think most of that stuff just buys you fraction, you know, very little time. It just buys you time, and it's not really buying you a lot of time. You know, not saying that you shouldn't do those other things um, because, you know, hunting is a game of seconds. You know, yeah. you just need that deer to step out into the clearing for, you know, 15 seconds to get your mm-hmm. shot off but it's much better to never have the the deer go downwind of you you know set up so that the deer going to be aren't going to get your scent than it is to try to use something to fool their sense of smell
0: okay so Jake any comment on that you still think Uh, camo's better, or do you think—what's your thoughts?
1: I guess my—I think that he's right in the sense that not letting a deer smell you is probably the most important thing. But I I don't know. I guess he did a good job with a tool, something to see the wind. But my argument or rebuttal against that is— you can do a good enough job predicting the wind to still have success just by observing which way the wind's blowing by watching leaves blow or whatever. That's not really a tool per se that you would have. That's just observing nature. So I think he's right that smell or scent is the most important. Deer will smell you way before they see you. But I feel like you can do that without having an extra tool just having a little bit of woodsmanship good enough, you know, maybe not to the minute detail of letting a piece of milkweed fluff go and seeing how it goes, you know, in and out, up and down. But you can generally get a general consensus of wind direction just by observing how the trees are blowing, how the leaves are blowing, that kind of stuff to do a good enough job to have success. That would be my argument against it, but I can't say that he's wrong either. Okay. All right. That's, so that's basically how I feel about camouflage too. Like <laughs> I, I can't argue against it, but you know.
0: Okay. All right. Well, we'll see what arguments you guys have against mine. So and I'm actually shocked you one of you guys didn't pick this one, but not that it's necessary but man does it make things a lot easier is a tree stand or some sort of elevated hunting platform i've killed deer from the ground it it can be done and it's it's fun and can be intense but but man especially as a new hunter i mean jeff you even talked about this in past episodes with your wife like getting up off the ground just allows you to see more it allows you to to stay engaged in the hunt. You can see something coming from a, a much longer way away and get ready. Whereas on the ground, a lot of times in order to be successful in that, you've got to be tucked back into something to where you, you can't see a lot. So you kind of have to be ready the entire time. You've kind of got to be sitting there with your bow at the ready and getting up off the ground. Just, 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 Ups your odds. I think it, it a lot of times helps you defeat a deer's nose. It gets your scent up in another layer of the wind stream. And so it can carry your scent up and away. It gets you out of their normal line of sight to where camouflage isn't as big of a, a deal. You know, as long as you're not standing up there in a, in a white t-shirt or something. Or, a, you know, color that deer see really well. And you're not flailing your arms around up there. I think an elevated hunting, whether it's a ladder stand, a climbing stand, uh, you know, a hang on stand, an elevated blind, some way of getting elevated, I think would be my most important thing as a bow hunter. What are your guys' thoughts?
1: If you add in like a blind, like a ground blind, I'm more, uh, you know, because a lot of the things you just said could be accomplished with a ground blind as well. Um, True, I I more, you know, agree with you. Um, I still don't think it's well. See, I don't know the ground blind because the ground blind completely, almost completely, eliminates the need for camouflage. Yeah. Um, but I I I think jacob is not an jacob and eyes are better than a than a, a tree stand or a ground blind um just because i i've i've been wearing full camo and sat in a tree stand before and had deer look at me like i'm stupid like you know you don't think i can see you there like <laughs> You know, I'm not coming anywhere near you. Like, I mean, they pick and I'm sitting there perfectly still in a tree. And, you know, they, they pick me out. No problem. Yeah. You know, and it's like, oh, well, this is, you know, so. I. It would be I, I think if you didn't have something to break up your silhouette, you know, like proper clothing in a tree stand, it, it would be. uh, Difficult, you know, it would. The the camo makes it more important, you know, is uh, kind of outdoes the tree stand there. And you can, uh, kind of with the scent thing, is you can make a lot of mistakes with the tree stand if you can't accurately predict how the wind is moving. You know, like uh, even with like general direction, because for me, what I found is when you get up in a tree stand, the the wind game completely changes. Like, sometimes on the ground, the wind seems to be doing one thing. When you get up in a tree stand and you actually use, you know, uh, milkweed fluff or something, it's like, oh, well, I never expected it. The wind was, you know, basically blowing, you know, coming from this direction. But then right over there, it's looping around and going, straight back the way the wind's coming you know it so i i feel jacob and i's are better than yours in in those that's my argument
0: okay so my rebuttal to your rebuttal is i i think i and i'll 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 concede the fact that yes you can get picked off in a tree stand but I would argue that proper stand placement, picking the right tree, not, you know, like if you're sitting on a telephone pole, right, it's easy for them to look up and see. But if you're in a tr- in a tree stand with some good back cover and you haven't trimmed every branch off, I think you can get away with a lot. And I think as another another pro for the tree stand argument, you you learn so much from being in a tree stand you could be hunting on the ground and get busted because you know you didn't have you weren't playing the wind right and never know you got busted because you can't see anything whereas in a tree stand a lot of times you can see all that happening and go oh that's what happened that's where i made my mistake or oh the deer are actually crossing over there or like you you can learn a lot from being in a tree stand.
1: So I would agree. Um and I think there unfortunately there's caveats to every one of these, but I think deer Jake,
0: I think we lost you. You there?
1: Yep, I'm here, sorry. I think deer density probably plays a role. Um, you know, like at my property where I'm overrun with does, a tree stand is probably not as important because I know at any given night, again, I guess I know this because of a trail camera, but, um, I know if I go sit any night of the week, there's a high probability I'm going to see deer so that I don't need to necessarily be elevated to see what they're doing or where they're coming from or if there's even deer there to stay motivated um i uh you know i just it depends you know yeah well and i think if you're if you're hunting somewhere where there's you don't know where the deer are or how many deer there are or you know that can potentially change things too being able to see them yeah
0: I, i think the one takeaway or or at least the one thing I hope people take away from this is there's there's not one right answer to this but if you distill it down right it, it doesn't all the fancy gear and everything right is is it helps but a lot of it I, I think is incremental help and so you know, Some sort of camo or, or way to break up your outline, some way of knowing or being able to read the wind and some way of getting elevated or, you know, to Jeff's point, you could get in a ground blind, you know, some way to sort of mask your movements or, you know, help avoid the deer seeing you. And you'll be successful. I think if I was going to, and I'll give you guys, uh, the opportunity, if, if you wanted, if you were going to have a, a second option, if you want, but I think my other one, if you guys had taken tree stand was going to be, and it's not something you would take into the woods with you, but really studying and understanding Deer anatomy for shot placement, because you can kill a deer with a a field point. If you understand anatomy, I I think you see it all the time on hunting TV, people that are filming their hunts as professional hunters or, or whatever. And I get things happen in the woods, right? The, The deer moves at the last second, whatever. But how many times do you hear like, Oh, it was a little back. And those guys, I, I think, understand shot placement, but it's easy to shoot them back with a bow. You know, I, I think we've gotten, people have gotten really afraid of hitting them in the shoulder because for a while it's been all about light arrow setups and speed. And and I think, I think you know, it seems like when I'm reading online and, and seeing people, like, people are are, I don't know about, getting back to maybe getting back to, cause it, you know, it used to be heavier sort of aluminum arrows versus, you know, you got all the carbon fiber stuff now, but people are focusing on heavier arrow setups for punching through realizing that, you know, the speed is great and all, but, um, if you can't get through the deer, if you can't get both lungs, if, you know, like it doesn't do you any good, right? The deer's still going to hear the bow before the arrow gets to him. And so my, my, like I said, it's not a tool per se, but, but really understanding deer anatomy and, and therefore shot placement will go a long, long way in recovering the deer you shoot. So would you, if, do you guys have a, a second one that you would add to the list? If, uh, do you have one no um, I,
1: don't know if I if I have one my second okay. one my second one was going to be what you said Jason like a stand or a blind or something okay um, I don't think I have another I mean I guess the other my tertiary or third one, was going to be kind of really off the wall because I figured if I had that bad of luck, um, <laughs> I'd just have to come up with something. But I was going to say, like, something to process your deer with, assuming you're successful, like a knife.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. Was going to be, I mean, you'd be up a crick if you shot a deer and didn't have a knife to field dress it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But. Okay. I, well, I will say that uh, the deer anatomy thing is also kind of uh, an argument against the elevated stand very thing. true very true because it's a lot it's a lot easier to understand the anatomy of a deer when you're at the same level as it yeah when you're <clears throat> elevated it it's a lot harder to understand you know because you think oh i just you know point you know right at you know right at the lungs well right if you, if you don't been factor in, my
0: target all summer
1: right you don't factor in that angle and it's like oh well i basically just shot through one lung and you know out the bottom of the chest and now yeah. i'm tracking a deer that is on one lung which i think we all know can go a very very long way
0: yeah yeah, that's that's a that's a great point. Getting elevated adds a, a another dimension to to consider in your shot placement calculation, right? Like it's it adds another right? It's not it's not on a single plane, right? You've sort of turned it into I don't know, I'm trying to think of a good way to word that. I mean, I I'm sure everybody understands what we're <laughs> what we're talking about but yeah you've taken it from a a and that's a good point too in that a lot of the deer anatomy images that you see online are a side broadside you know here's the here's where the heart is in relation to the leg here's where the lungs are but then you know you add that element of an angle coming down out of a tree stand and it adds a layer of complexity that's that's for sure.
1: Right. You add, like you said, an elevated angle plus a deer not standing completely broadside. Right. And now you're looking at, you got to take, you know, like you said, three different planes, so to speak, and understand a little bit of physics and geometry. Yeah, think about, I guess, where geometry gonna yeah, think right. about where that arrow is going to
0: exit. Yeah. Think about where that arrow is going to exit on the, on the backside. It's like three dimensional pool. Right. Like pool is played on a on a single plane. Right. And you're you're just figuring on angles and and where do I strike the ball and, and that kind of thing. But if you were to add a uh, right, a, a third dimension to pool, you know, it, it very much increases the complexity.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, you got to know. Generally where those vitals are sitting and you have to, like you said, think about it's probably more important to think about your exit hole than your entrance hole when you're starting to talk about those different angles and.
0: But. Yeah. And so really, I mean, cause as we all know and seen a lot of times you got to make that calculation, if you will, in a split second, right? You don't, I mean, Jeff, you said it's, 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 uh, you know, uh, it comes down to a matter of seconds a lot of times and you've got to think that through, make that decision, pick your aiming point. And so having a, a good understanding of deer anatomy, I think helps you make that, that calculation faster and more accurately. And then, you know, hopefully you can hit that, <laughs> hopefully you can hit that, that point. point you picked out
1: right that just goes back to i know we've talked about it on previous episodes like you've got to practice hunting scenarios the best you can you know i mean it's yes it's fun to sit out there and blast targets at a or blast arrows at a target that's whatever 30 yards out in front of you and you're standing there shooting straight at it but if you have the ability get elevated practice elevated Put the target at angles, do different things to see exactly how your arrows and your setup is going to react. And...
0: and get your heart rate up, you know, do right. <clears throat> 20 push-ups and then try to shoot a bullseye or do, you know, 50 jumping jacks or something to get your heart rate elevated and see how things change or break down or, you know.
1: Yeah. The one thing I found that has been a little bit helpful for me, I think, is just, and it was kind of out of necessity because the target I had was I was shooting my arrows straight through it with my crossbow up to the fletching. So I decided I was going to hang my target from a rope from my kid's swing set. Well, where I live, it's pretty windy at times. I live up on top of a hill. So it was kind of interesting because the target would blow in the wind. So now it was kind of a little bit of a moving target, which helped a little bit. You know, it's spinning, it's rotating, it's blowing a little bit, just a little more. Not that deer blow in the wind, but you know what I mean? They're a lot of times moving or walking or so you got to practice kind of following the target until you can get it to stop or whatever. But just stuff like that, get creative.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a cool idea. All right. Well, like I said in the beginning, this is just going to kind of be a fun, uh, as we start thinking about deer season, you know, what's most important. So if you guys have another one that you think is, uh, you know, that you, that you would argue is more important than, uh, any of the things we listed let us know and and of course give your give your supporting evidence as to why and uh yeah hit us up on uh, social media with that that's gonna do it for this week and as always thank you for listening thank you for sharing that's the way we get this content out to other people to to new audiences is by you all sharing it on your social media pages it's not gonna go by itself right this isn't viral content this isn't uh content that is you know that sort of fits the standard narrative that uh, of things that sort of grow legs on their own and, and even those things that do grow legs on their own it's from people sharing them so i encourage you all i appreciate you all sharing this stuff sending it to your friends sending it to your your hunting buddies, your, you know, the people that you hunt with at hunting camp. And hopefully you're getting excited for fall hunting season. There's uh, still time left to enter into the controlled hunt drawings for, you know, that the ODNR is putting on. Everything's gonna be online this year. So if you're interested in that, make sure you check that out. And with that, I think that's everything. I'll let you all go, and we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening.